I honestly feel like that uh, little toy getting as much screen time as it did was just for us. Because like I don't think that little toy in, in that moment in A New Hope really means anything to anyone else. It wouldn't mean as much to people. Uh, we didn't have as like a ton of Star Wars action figures, so the ones that we had had extra value, for sure. Well, how did that Luke lose his foot? Because I can picture him having a little masking tape nub. He absolutely does, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. We should be saving this for the, the well, we podcast. Are, we are recording, <laughs> if you want to just like stick it in at the top. <laughs> Yeah, we may as well. Okay. Uh, it's actually, now that I think about it, um, my guess is he uh, broke his foot off through um, one of our many instances of uh, carbon freezing. Yeah. Well, and I thought about so carbonite. Yeah. I those... thought of that this weekend too, because I just watched A New Hope and then immediately after Empire Strikes Back, first time in like a few years I watched them. Um, and I couldn't remember being enamored with the idea of carbon freezing when I was a kid. Like, it didn't even really occur to me that it was like this traumatic thing. I guess I got that it was a punishment, but I just thought it was so cool that you could just like freeze someone into a coffee table. <laughs> and, and they'd then, live and because then we live. didn't have any of the suspense. Right. Yes, exactly. Um, but we both had a Han Solo action figure. Yours was kind of like classic Han with a vest. And I had Hoth Han. So he was wearing like a parka and a hat and everything. Um but we would carbon freeze our Han Solo action figures in, I mean, I don't know if it was like a, a, a creepy crawler situation or if we had like this magic putty that would crystallize and turn hard. It was some form of um, magical foam putty. Like a foam sorts. clay. And all we would do is just like make an imprint of Han Solos and then a day later peel them out and then there would be the their inverse shape. <laughs> we were cute. Yeah. We were adorable little kids. <laughs> oh, of course, as long as you love Star Wars. Otherwise, we're just a little weird. Hello, I am C-3PO, and I believe the storyteller is ready. So let us begin. This week, the story is about the long-anticipated grand season, maybe series finale of Disney Plus's Obi-Wan Kenobi, where we uh, certainly hoped to get some finality to a lot of uh, questions we might have had over time, or just a curiosity about how we would witness them draw the strings together in the Ben Kenobi story. Um, maybe resolve some inconsistencies that have existed for a while within Star Wars. So typically, we have been watching these episodes and then almost immediately recording podcasts after. And we're kind of still in that wonder glow that we like to talk about where uh, it's very difficult to objectively have a conversation without just like discussing how how perfect it was. Now uh, we're recording a couple of weeks after Obi-Wan has finished. Do you feel like you're more uh, able to speak on it with some ob objectivity? Uh, are you able to look at it holistically? Or do you just still think, and I'm kind of getting ahead of us here, but do you still just think that this was the most perfect Star Wars installation in years, as I happen to know you did after first watching it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess... I it's hard to say years because I wouldn't put it above Mando uh, and I never would have, but I would have put it above everything else since the force awakens. Uh, absolutely. Um, for sure. Slam dunk for me. And I think there are moments I, I don't know. I, I think considering how much I loved uh, the, you were my brother um, moment of revenge of the Sith, having such a, a powerful sequel to that, and having such a nice connection between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope and believing so strongly that they executed it so well. Um, that was, I think, maybe the 
the highest stakes that they've landed as well. Um, so I would agree with all those things and I would stand by all those things still very much. So, uh, I thought the finale was necessary for giving it such a grade. Um, but in viewing the whole thing as, um, one big story, uh, I think it absolutely, uh, stuck the landing. I think there's, it could have been a movie maybe, yeah, um, I think so. may, may, maybe even should have been, but, uh, as long as it doesn't change anything we got in chapter six. I think that's what I decided in rewatching this episode six. Uh, I mean, and you and I differ on this. I just tend to be somebody who prefers movies because of the eventization of them. Um, and as exciting and eventful as each episode of this series was, I was still kind of just like sitting on my couch and it didn't feel like I was going to have to be in for the long haul, 45 minutes. And so like, even where it did get emotional or was deeply satisfying or fan servicing, um, it didn't feel cheap to me. There are people in certain threads who will tell you that the show looked budgetarily lacking. I don't agree with that. It just felt like it was lacking a cinematic essence, which might be ineffable and might be only uh, a possibility through legitimate cinema. That being said... I have no specific criticisms of anyone's performance, of any writing per se, although maybe I would tighten a couple of things up. But like overall, I think the show was a, a creative success tremendously. Yeah, uh, and that's that's it's good to hear. Uh, I think most people do, and I think that that's really, really positive. It's a nice change. Nobody wants to, especially with the internet's love of Obi-Wan Kenobi in particular. Mm. Uh, it was wonderful to see pretty much everybody universally agreed that Hayden nailed it, uh, absolutely nailed it. And uh, that sequence of the, the conversation in particular after the mask is cut off uh, is just so moving and creepy and uh, heartbreaking and sad and fun and exciting and every emotion you could possibly want. Yeah. Uh, and, but more than anything, just satisfying. Uh, and Hayden Christensen delivers and he goes toe to toe with Hugh McGregor in that scene. And it's like, they both put on a clinic. Um, one plays a wonderful psycho and one just makes you empathize so much with a guy who's lost his brother and then caps it off with the with the goodbye Darth. Um, yeah. It was, yeah, it, it overall, it was, it was awesome. And I really think that creepy smile um, from Anakin slash more importantly, Vader uh, is uh, like a top 10 moment in Star Wars for me. Well, Absolutely. it's, it's great. And we've discussed before how Darth Vader is like Hannibal Lecter and that the less is more of his menace really sells how menacing he in fact is. And this show did not, reserve too much Darth Vader. It actually gave us a whole darn lot, which is very cool. Although I think you can make the case that it reserved a whole lot of Hayden Christensen. Yes, I understand it was him wearing the suit. And I think that's really good for the spirituality of Star Wars fan service. I, I think that I agree. Everybody's like really happy that this gives Hayden an opportunity to to have a swan song and a successful one. And he did spectacularly with what was given to him, certainly from an athletic standpoint. But I do kind of want to nitpick a little bit whether or not his performance was in a fully encompassing sense uh, good. <laughs> because 
frankly, he's just wearing the suit most of the time and he's moving around very deftly, but mostly it's not him talking, right? And then in that final sequence, he is still aided by the context of James Earl Jones, who is 50% of the voice. And so the smirk is something, but I think I kind of hoped that we were going to get like something, and I I realize this was a pipe dream, but I think I kind of hoped we were going to get something of an Emmy quality performance from Hayden to really uh, uh, rehabilitate his performer's image. And it was too minimal for me, I think. Oh, I would, I wouldn't disagree that it was too minimal. Uh, I would, I would completely agree with there wasn't enough of it. Uh, episode five or chapter five. I mean, um, that was nice to see. Uh, and I thought he was excellent in that. And I think he mirrored himself extremely well in showing the thread lines to Darth Vader. Yes, there was the, because it wasn't James Earl Jones directly. It was James Earl Jones animatronic voice, the same way that they remade Luke Skywalker's voice through Mark Hamill, which makes way more sense with Darth Vader. And that's the reason why he sounded so good uh, and accurate. So uh, James Earl Jones was not on the payroll for this show at all. Oh, I'm sure he got paid. Um, Sure. But but that's that is he wasn't in a booth. Interesting. I guess I knew that at some point. And because his voice is quite stilted, they can do that more easily than with other people's voices, I guess. It's very encouraging Mm -hmm. for like the future of making Darth Vader stories. Um, Oh, I did forget about that. That is crazy. And by the way, James Earl Jones was trending today on Twitter. He's fine. I have no idea why he was trending, but like your instinct when somebody's 90 years old and their name is trending is like, oh my God, what happened? I know we're recording a podcast tonight. What happened? Um, And I want him to be with us forever. Although it'd be nice to know that he can like fully retire if he wants to, because Star Wars has him forever and ever. That's cool. Yeah, it is nice that they have the ability to recreate him and to do it so well and have it. uh, I mean, keep using people like Scott Lawrence for video games because he does it just as well. And it allows uh, a real person to get paid. And it also means in the same way, um, it's probably pretty expensive to, although I don't know, maybe it isn't. Maybe after you create the program, maybe it's really easy to just have Vader say anything. Actually, it probably is. Um, Then that'd be actually really funny to hear Vader say anything. Um, but with I'm sure that there's overall, an app. with that overall uh, in mind, Hayden's also not entirely the only one in the suit. There's three people in total who are in the suit, right? Um, and so he's only like he's not six foot seven, so they have a, a six foot seven guy. They've got a sword master, so part of the fighting is Hayden, but not all of it is Hayden. Uh, the point when they go like back to back, for example, in the fight, though. They'd use Hayden in particular on that one, and you can tell because Vader's noticeably shorter in that one sequence. Mm. Um, and that's important to do because it's mirroring that back-to-back sequence from the previous chapter. Uh, yes, they kind of meld in that animatronic voice in that one scene, but still his smile, it's still his facial expressions. He's still able to emote so much with so little, and it's easily like an 85-15 split on sure. how it's it's a lot more Hayden in that sequence. But you're right, it's not very much, uh, but I think he completely nails everything that he's given. Uh, so I, when you consider how little we saw of Anakin in Return of the Jedi, um, it's an equivalent uh, amount of screen time sort of to like Sebastian Shaw. Yeah. Um, and probably actually more. And so. Yes, yes, I think you're right. Um, okay, let's go back to the beginning. We open on Reva, who most recently at the end of episode five has been uh, slashed through the gut by Darth Vader. We knew, of course, that she didn't die. 
Um, but she does retrieve the little communication device, which has the crackly transmission from Bail Organa, which gives her some pertinent information about Tatooine and Lars, Owen Lars, and also that there's a boy. Now, to me, it seems like she's she's drawing a, a lot of connections with the little information that she has, but whatever, I'm willing to accept that she does remember meeting an Owen near where Obi-Wan was, was based, fair enough. Um, should they have done a little bit more to explain exactly how she overcame her attack by Vader? Because they did nothing other than that she spoke very softly, almost too softly when she was being threatening on that Tatooine street. Yeah, there was a couple of things that didn't work for a lot of people. And I, I, they don't necessarily not work as much for me. Uh, the one that works, people are questioning how she survives the gut stab so many times uh, when that's now going to become like, don't make this like bringing back characters in Star mm. Wars. Now people just, everyone who falls down pits or gets stabbed in the gut lives except for frigging Qui-Gon. Right. Uh, it's just, it doesn't, doesn't align. Uh, and then the other thing that people have the problem with uh, is why does she even go after Luke? What does she know about Luke that makes her so angry? I struggle with and that I too. He- I was hoping that you could explain that for me because like if she really wants revenge on Vader... And she has somehow put together that Luke Skywalker or Luke Lars or whatever is is Anakin Skywalker's son. That's not even really the way to hurt Vader. Like you kind of thought that like the only reason she wanted Leia was to lure Obi-Wan to lure Vader. So like going after a second kid is kind of yesterday's plan. I don't think that's what she's necessarily going for in this situation. I don't think it makes any sense for her to know that Luke is Anakin's kid. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't work at all. However, she does know that there's a kid on Tatooine that Obi-Wan has been protecting for a long period of time. Uh, Like, like the same way that he was out, went out of his way to protect Leia. And this is just an instance of, okay, so Obi-Wan's been helping kids since order 66. Like seriously, fuck you obi-wan why why wouldn't you help me why like let me get this last little bit of sort of i guess revenge out on all the jedi who failed me Mm -hmm. um to show them that no you're gonna fail in protecting these other kids you're not going to what she says be successful when she has been when she has been downsized and she returns and she is weakened and she's talking to obi-wan uh on the sand she says, I've failed them, referring to all of her friends from childhood who were killed in front of her. I've failed them by not being able to exact revenge on Vader. And in, I guess the, to, the blank to fill in would be by you know killing somebody that he loves. And of course, that that is just like, it's, it's drawing too many conclusions on her own. Um, it, it just doesn't, I, maybe I'm misreading that, but that was obviously missing something for a I lot don't- of people. Yeah, and I think that's kind of uh, that's I think that's a better point to harp on. Actually, mm-hmm. I did uh, that specific line of why does like defending their honor involve killing another child? Right. Uh, it just it doesn't work. I agree with that completely. Uh, and I think Riva's like she's not insane enough to be as insane as she is. Yeah, she is like batshit stupid insane, but at the same time like seems to be kind of put together it like really doesn't work 
well, yeah. for and then she a redemptive a redeemable character. A pull, but a they're gonna full pivot. And now like yeah. the only thing that was driving her evilness was revenge and this like unfinished business with Anakin Skywalker. And now we can just accept that she like goes off into the galaxy and has like a quiet, virtuous life. Like she's a young woman. She's presumably still around for the time of the sequel trilogy. And she's like a very, very powerful force user. So like, does she ever interact with Rey, with with Luke Skywalker as an older person? Or does she just like go become a farmer unto herself and mind her own business? Like it seems like they're, and they probably will fill in these gaps, but there's a lot of Reva's next chapter left unwritten. Yes. Oh, there definitely is. Uh, I don't think she's a very powerful force user. She had anger that they wanted to weaponize, but she got like she completely had her ass handed to her by Vader. Uh, well, and anybody would have their was... ass handed to them by Vader. Like Obi-Wan is exceptional in many ways. Plus, he specifically yep. knows Vader. And I would say that Reva is out there like pulling thoughts out of people's brains. Um, she can like, you know, I, th- I actually entirely disagree. And I think that her inexperience against Vader is not the best example because I think that she's she's proven through this whole series that she is scary powerful. Yeah. I while I don't agree with all the people who were mad about like, oh, how did Ray take on an injured Kylo Ren? I'll take a similar argument of how like even still, Baru and Owen shouldn't have been able to handle themselves pretty well against like a Riva who was able to travel to another planet, not injured so badly, apparently. Yeah. yeah that's uh, Although so, it's, it's kind of nice to know that uh, when those Imperial troopers did eventually arrive at the Lars homestead, probably Owen and Baru put up a fight for a little while. They probably were like, I like to think that they, they went down scrapping. Yeah. With their uh, shotgun blasters, they're sawed off. Uh, like I, Baru is a, is a total badass. She's a total that, badass. I never saw that coming. <laughs> yeah, that like the only lines like Luke, Luke, and just like it, it doesn't it does not align the way that she does the complete uh, dime flip, but it works perfectly. I, I I like that it shows that she'll do anything for for Luke, and I know that there's a, a new book um, that talks a fair bit about um, Baru as well, so that'll be kind of cool. To I thought Loki one of the story on her. Loki one of the best uh, performances in the whole series was Joel Edgerton as Owen Lars. I thought he was perfect, like absolutely. Oh, I thought he was perfect. Yeah, I, th- I agree. I think he did the best job of uh, connecting characters of all of them, including uh, Obi Wan and Anakin. Uh, I think he just became. Uh, a new hope owen i thought it was really really impressive um the gruffness uh it just it completely felt like one character now you didn't necessarily feel the exact same way on the obi-wan side of things whereas uh i did but um i guess kind of whether there really were like bail organa is consistent because it's always jimmy smith's um there really are i guess those four characters that are the they're the only ones that uh, do the transition throughout. Yeah, and nobody in all of Star Wars has so much screen time done by two different actors as Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, and so maybe it's just quite noticeable. And by the way, I don't need Obi-Wan to get up there and do an Alec Guinness impersonation. I don't need Joaquin Phoenix to look exactly like Johnny Cash. I believe that Ewan McGregor's a good actor and he's he's performing the role that is rightly his. Um but throughout the entire series, and part of it is just the the age nitpick that a lot of people have about how 
both Owen and Baru and Obi-Wan and basically everybody ages disproportionately in the nine years that follow this series, but like whatever. Um, yeah, I have, I have, I, I didn't necessarily see a tremendous uh, similarity between the characters that Obi-Wan played and Alec Guinness played, even after having just watched uh, A New Hope last week for the first time in a couple of years. There is a lightness and a wryness to Alec Guinness's uh, Obi-Wan that I think Ewan McGregor's character sort of takes steps towards in the end of this series when he's yeah. able to say hello there and he kind of like chuckles when Leia says you should get some sleep. Uh, that's that's sweet, but I don't I don't know that he feels like I don't know. It, he doesn't feel quite as cavalier. There's something very like, well, fuck it, let's go about Alec Guinness's character that this Obi Wan still doesn't feel like to me. Yeah, he does kind of. Uh, I don't know. I, I I just disagree. I feel like in those last few episodes, he does twist to that sort of Obi Wan where. Uh, he doesn't want to fight uh, and he wants to take the high ground. Uh, sorry, that was literally not intentional. Uh, that was, uh, that, uh, I, I meant high road. high road. I said high ground because, yeah. because of what we're talking about. <laughs> because, of course, it was just embedded in my mind there. Uh, but no, he wants to take the high road on these things. And I see such a smooth transition towards the calmness that he achieves after that conversation where he just he gives up completely on Darth Vader to the way that he talks about um uh the young Jedi knight uh named Darth Vader betrayed and murdered your father right um and like he's more machine now than man twisted and evil and the way he's just like he looks off and the way that he talks about Anakin in particular and about that relationship uh, in the way that he's talking with Luke and like Return of the Jedi, those feel extremely consistent to me with what we get through Obi-Wan in the show. Now, maybe I can see uh, that when we, we do first meet Obi-Wan, he is, uh, you must come with me to Alderaan and be all like, he's got this like kind of like off on his own idealistic, damn fooled idealistic crusade. Um, Whereas Obi-Wan's this entire series not wanting to go off on some damn fool idealistic crusade. Much less pull out his lightsaber in the most Eisley Cantina. Like, he just seems very flippant and casual with his being in hiding. And I think I had predicted on this podcast that maybe by the end of the series, Vader would in fact know exactly where Obi-Wan is and that he's not hiding at all. He's just waiting for their next encounter patiently because, you know, he promised the Emperor that he wasn't going to fixate on this end anymore or whatever. And that didn't exactly fully fulfill... Uh, he does go back into hiding. In fact, he tells Leia, we got to like be real low key about this friendship of ours. And then he marches off back into the into the caves. Um, and so th maybe that's one of the disconnects. I think you can have your your cake and eat it too on that one, though, Colin, because because the best part about his like, I don't think he is off in hiding as much. He's off on uh, the, the second half of his adventure. Mm. And I do think Darth Vader is absolutely, yes, he screams after uh, Obi-Wan because he just wants to fight, but he just wants to fight. Mm. He doesn't, he doesn't want it to end as much as he wants to kill him. He doesn't like, he he, he does and he doesn't. He, he's like a, a cat that was playing with a mouse. That's like the Joker. To, he, the, the Joker. I don't want to kill you. That's it's yeah. exactly the same thing. 
but it's a it's a little bit harder for Darth Vader because yes, he does desperately think he wants to kill Obi Wan and 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 will do it in this instance, whether he's burying him with rocks or whether he cuts him down in the Death Star. Um, but he also knows that he's tormented by this cat and mouse game, and so that's why at the very end, like you said, when he's talking with Palpatine, he's like, "Okay, yeah, no, I'll chill back." And so I do think he kind of gives up the the need to look for him. So Obi Wan is also in a certain way able to have I a house kind of, and yeah and i think yeah. obi-wan gets that too i think he knows like okay fine bye darth if i see you again i'll do the same shit again to you right or i will have figured out something entirely different and i'll like i'll become more powerful than you can possibly imagine and uh you'll kill me and it'll be great well uh, truly but at this point he doesn't care and what we don't say often enough is that he resigns in his final duel with Vader in A New Hope. It's, it's even though Alec Guinness is an old man and that duel is slow for the sake of movie making in 1977, there's, no, there's nothing about the story that suggests that he couldn't have bested Vader again as an old man. Maybe he could have, you know, mm-hmm. especially since he has more peace at that point than he ever does in the entire lifespan of Darth Vader, Obi-Wan, I mean. Like, he is more together mm-hmm. and collected spiritually than ever. And if that's what it takes to best Darth Vader, and we know it is because that's how he bested him in the series finale of Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, through, like, clarity and and love, um, then he probably could have won in that duel again. But he realized at that point that it's no longer necessary. He looks over and he sees Luke and Leia are back together again. He sees that there's a brighter future for the force. And he realizes that his purpose with the Skywalker lineage is now resolved. And I can get the hell out of here and go uh, hang on another spiritual plane. That was, that was kind of my view. Cause I really wanted to watch a new hope uh, having all of this new context, very fresh. And it was pretty rewarding as you can imagine. Oh, absolutely. I've yet to be able to watch the whole thing, which is annoying, but I want, I've watched as many clips as I possibly can to refresh. Uh, and I've, I've watched the, I've watched the finale of Obi-Wan uh, many times in the second half of the finale, uh, many, many times. Um, but it will be really nice to kind of watch them all together um, and do the full rewatch because there is so much more context that is added now. And I think I want to see, I think return of the Jedi, there's an, there's as much context relating to the show in that as there is in a new hope. So that one also has a lot for me, much less in empire. uh, But there are certainly some, some Vader moments that uh, are mirrored there. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's much more of a Revenge of the Sith, A New Hope, Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, and Return of the Jedi. It's all, they, they have their own story right there. That's the, the love uh, and loss of Anakin and, and Obi-Wan, kind of. Well, I mean, taking off the helmet to reveal the scarred Sebastian Shaw with a big gash on his head, are we to take away that this is the duel where he got that gash? Because, like, he Absolutely. doesn't necessarily have that scar on Mustafar, and so it is kind of kind of cool that they... They, that's it, that happened when his helmet got got shattered. That was pretty amazing. Yeah, it's great that Obi Wan is the one to leave all of the scars on Vader, uh, and that there was one that was left open <laughs> accidentally for sure, uh, but that they were able to. Oh, let's go and add this one in too, and so that works. Um, uh, am I right that this is not the first time they've done this trick where somebody slashes Vader in the face and then it's part James Earl Jones's voice and part the Anakin Skywalker voice? That seems very familiar oh, to me. 
Yeah, we watched it literally before Obi Wan. I watched it, forced you to watch two episodes of Rebels yeah. because I thought that this could happen again, and that's literally what happens in the episodes of Rebels. Whereas yeah. Ahsoka cuts off the other half of his mask, uh, and so both his master and his apprentice are the only two to ever be able to get half through to him. The only one to fully lift off the full mask is Luke. Uh, yeah. And so he just keeps like a backup storage of like replacement masks. I don't know. Maybe he has a couple of full suit. masks in rotation. Yeah. For laundry yeah. day. Well, he also has slight differentiations in his suits in I think all of the everythings. Uh, so it also makes sense that he's got a lot of uh, suits and maybe he's got like one for every day of the week so that you know, after a BACTA, <laughs> he's able to go into a new suit and like they're numbered and like he's got his little droid. No, like you brought me Thursdays. This is Wednesday. Uh, let's talk about Leia. The first time we see our heroes in the episode, we're on that shuttle um, taking folks to safety. Kumail is there. O'Shea Jackson Jr. is there. And of course, Leia is there. And she is reluctant to let Obi-Wan go off and finish business. And then uh, Obi-Wan has a, a bit of a moment with, um, with Roken, who is able to glean that Obi-Wan going to face Vader alone is actually a resolution that he's seeking for him alone. And this is where he kind of parallels Anakin's just uh, lust for, for, for the fight. He just wants to go down there and, and, and resolve something that's uh, turmoiled within him. Uh, and so eventually they're able to do that. But first he gives Leia a holster and I don't recognize the holster. I was willing to let it go. Becky won't give up on the holster. We've watched episode four and episode five now. Literally every time we see Leia with a gun, Becky's like, does she have the holster on? And I get it because they made a meal out of this holster as if we were meant to recognize it. And I don't know, man, were we? No, no, we weren't. I think that's I a missed opportunity I, then. I don't know. Oh, they, they, they made it seem like this. you're supposed to recognize this holster. What are they supposed to give her? Like a, a round comb? Because that's the only thing that you can think of. <laughs> I don't I, know. They didn't have to. They didn't have to be so winky, winky, nudgy, nudgy about the holster. They still could have given her uh, Tala's holster and not been like, ah, eh? ah, eh? the way they were with with Luke's uh, little speeder ship. Yeah, no, I, I think Luke's speeder ship was more subtle, and this I think was supposed to be like, here we're introducing this new thing. Uh, I don't think they were like trying to make like what would have been more annoying is if they pulled another dice situation yeah. where they're like, let me make this non-important thing so fucking important. I agree <laughs> that's annoying, but that's what it felt. It reminded me very much of the dice thing. So what you're saying is that the holster is a metaphor for Leia becoming a warrior. Absolutely. Yes, she is a warrior in waiting. Mm -hmm. She is uh, the the holster without the blaster she is the blaster basically right um but also it made it for a ridiculously funny line about you're 10 years old not giving you a blast giving you a blaster come on now uh and then in the end of the episode uh really beautiful reunion she's very psyched about uh lola mm -hmm. are there any fan theories about like whatever happens to lola well, Lola was created uh, because uh, Carrie Fisher had a pet bird named Lola when she was a kid. Uh, so I think that's a really cute that's homage. Yeah. Uh, Lola will sell a lot of toys. Oh, I know. Uh, and uh, I think they'll probably do more Lola stuff at some point down the line. Uh, but my guess is Lola 
kicks the bucket of some kind. Um, it's the only thing that makes sense. Droids don't die, so Lola's got to get like squished. No, or... and they tend to be lifelong companions if you love them enough, like R two D two. So like, there's no reason or why three PO for her or three PO. So there's no reason why Leia wouldn't still have Lola if she hadn't had some kind of like specific separation. It's not like she outgrew Lola. No, and and Lola, um, yeah, Lola's cool. I want Lola to come back. I also like that uh, Lola. I forget what she said. Makes people feel less nervous or makes them. Uh, calm and then uh, give it to Obi-Wan for his fight with Vader. <laughs> yeah, it is nice. There's a really uh, lovely moment where um, Obi-Wan explains her biological parents to her. He he tells her, you know, previously when I said I didn't know your parents, you're wise and you're uh, determined. I forget exactly what adjectives he says, He's but he says these are traits that came from your mother. And then he says something similar about her father, basically saying that she's all the best parts of of Padme and Anakin, um, mm. which is beautiful, and then and then she says, "Will I ever see you again?" And he says, "Maybe someday if you need help from an old man, but we have to be very secretive about it because if anybody finds out, it could endanger us both." And this is the line I'd been waiting for for most of the series because yeah. how many times have I said to you that it's it's a frustrating disconnect to me that in her initial transmission to Obi-Wan in the original Star Wars, she doesn't appear to know him. And so this is where it kind of feels like, oh, well, that Leia is trying to act like she doesn't know him to protect everybody. And probably between those two events, they've been very careful not to like be too detailed in their transmissions between Obi-Wan and Bail Organa. Let's try and use less context for everybody's safety. And I thought that was that was all I needed. It was perfect. It was perfect, and it's great because not only is the message done in a very formal manner, what's the end? Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. My only it's hope. Just, it's, you're, it's just a, a simple request from an old friend. It's not this, years ago, you served my father in the Clone Wars. Right. Now, it, 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 it's, they're two complete messages, and you can almost view them as, here's my coded message for you. And here's, hey, hey, Obi-Wan, I need help again. And I got to tell uh, and you, you. And you'll come because you always have. I got to tell you, when when you watch Alec Guinness watch that message, knowing that new context, it's really powerful because there's nothing about it that doesn't work. He doesn't say much. He just stares at her knowingly. And then he immediately says, okay, well, we got to go to Alderaan. Like he doesn't even mm -hmm. think about it. It's like, all right, well, she she called in her favor because she really needs it. And... I know exactly who that is. Although it's a little bit sad that she actually doesn't really get to like hug him again. In fact, I'm not even really sure she talks to him again. And and by the way, she consoles Luke who's devastated over uh, Obi-Wan's death and she doesn't seem to be hurt herself, which we can get past because both her and her brother have a long history of getting over deaths really easily. Um, no time for sorrows, Colin. <laughs> no, I guess. But it, by the way, like I know I keep saying this, but having just watched that movie, both her and Luke like take no more than a scene, just a beat to be mad over their lifelong guardian's dissolution. <laughs> yeah, they just don't really know he's their lifelong guardian. Or well, and that's the thing is we still don't know the full extent of his relationship with no, Luke no. and whether it continues no. beyond Hello There. I mean, Owen and Baru and the entire planet of Alderaan, actually. Oh. 
sorry. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's <laughs> definitely a far bigger one. Uh, yeah. And every time a, a New Hope is watched, my heart breaks uh, about the loss of Bail Organa. But yeah. Brea was great in this as well. And so that was really great that that uh, she's a much more fleshed out character beyond the the books. Uh, Simone Castle was great on screen uh, as Brea, so that was that was great. And yes, the the star of um the breakout star was vivian lira blair as little leia and uh, i would love to for them to capitalize on that um and use her again don't use the you're gonna run out of time i don't want to cross over in in age range um but use her again uh and don't do an obi-wan season two just do something else and i i'm one of the people who actually i think a vader series could work yeah um i think you can mirror this show as a vader series if you want um not from the, not the same show told from a different perspective but just like you can do a season two almost of the show and have it take place like i don't know two years later and not have obi-wan and vader run into each other but almost have it be season two but have it'd be a lot more vader um yeah than obi-wan cast a new tarkin tell some of that story Yep, that would work. That would um, absolutely work. Yeah, do a story that that centralizes the empire, and do do an an antihero story because there haven't been enough quality antiheroes in Star Wars. All the heroes are so virtuous. And Leia's known Tarkin from a young age, uh, and has always like like from her early days as part of the rebellion. She's known that Tarkin is the big bad guy. Yeah, uh, and so having like. Uh, Leia interact with Governor Tarkin mm-hmm. uh, would be great, uh, and then have uh, Vader there, be having his leash held by Tarkin. Uh, add a little more context there, and then you can still tell the Obi Wan learning how to be a Force ghost from Qui Gon, and then them talking all about Anakin, and that that's how you get more uh, flashback Hayden Christensen, and then how you get more just overall context and meat in the bones. Well, now you are describing an Obi Wan season two, though. No, but you make it still more Vader focused. Uh, yeah. As a, and and it, it would it would if you were to do an Obi Wan season two and then have a bunch of Vader, you'd almost be like you'd feel ripped off of them not meeting again. I feel whereas this allows you to not feel ripped off because their relationship's not the star. You're absolutely right, and it's actually the issue with the show being called Obi Wan Kenobi is that the whole show is his relationship to the memory of Anakin Skywalker. It's really a two-hander in mm. that sense, and Leia's a big part of it. She's like a great supporting performer in it, but the heart of the show is how he feels about Anakin and how Anakin feels about him. And so that's really why there can't be a season two of Obi-Wan because that story is very much resolved now. It's, it's definitely mm-hmm. over, but... I think you're right about what you just said about uh, Leia's relationship to the Empire going forward, because she actually still hasn't met Obi-Wan, or hasn't met Vader, rather. And as long as you're just telling that story, and there's Obi-Wan stuff happening simultaneously, yeah, you can give him an episode or two, see what's going on with him in the, in the meantime, why not? Maybe we can bring in a little bit of young Luke. Yeah, I mean, it might make a little bit more sense. You could, I think you could build a show... It structurally makes more sense than the book of Boba Fett out of this. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's not too hard, by the way, to make a show that makes more structural sense than the book of Boba Fett. Uh, how about uh, That's true. young Luke? We get a sweet moment. It's, it, it's one of the great surprises of the series is that he didn't feature very heavily in this. But it's mm. a sweet moment when Obi-Wan goes back to the the farm one more time and Owen kind of clicks back on his uh, defenses. I thought you were going to keep your distance and don't worry, I will. Uh, listen, you're doing a great job raising him. Don't worry about the future. That'll take care of itself. And then he goes to ride off into the sunset and Owen calls out, Ben, 
you want to meet him. And Ben walks up and he smiles and Luke smiles and he says, hello there. And it's incredibly satisfying. Mm-hmm. Not nuanced, yeah, no, but it, very satisfying. Yeah, but it was also, I, I wasn't expecting it. And like they didn't use the high ground comment when they completely could have. Yep. Uh, and so I was happy they passed on that there. They didn't, there was a lot more they could have done uh, in the meme memeing of this show uh, and kind of bringing some of those back into pop cultural relevance. Uh, I thought this was the perfect way to do it. You could have done hello there at any other point uh, and it would have felt cheap there. It just somehow felt earned, uh, which is really hard (laughs) to have made that feel earned because like the one used in revenge of the Sith, it's not, it's not earned. Sorry. It is earned because like, obviously Ewan McGregor, is Obi-Wan Kenobi, but it's in the sense that it's like, it's a fun callback. Is it, it even though I always just kind of thought it was a coincidence and then we memefied it because he said it twice? No, well, no, I, th- I think it very much is uh, intentional, but I think, yes, it's the, it's the Ewan McGregor one that is iconic. Yes. Uh, that's what makes it. And, and so it, it's interesting. It becomes one that they've, all this is built up behind it because of him specifically. So of course that's the one that they're waiting for. You're right. Uh, it, it is a meme and they are playing into the meme, but it's pretty tasteful. And like, yeah, if, if you're going, we do know that Ben has to meet Luke at some point and then that should probably be the whole story. Uh, so what else is he going to say? Hello? <laughs> like, no, you should say hello there. Like this is your perfect opportunity to do that. And when has he said it before? When he's been friendly. And he's like, oh, just to a little droid or to Luke again. And and to Luke, Uh, yeah. And when he's mocking Grievous. Exactly. Yeah. So it works uh, in terms of a friendly character showing consistency. And then we finish off with Qui-Gon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I no great surprise. It was what I wanted it to be. He looks a little older in the eyes. But like other than that, like it, he looks exactly like phantom menace qui-gon and it's and he's very warm what he took you long Mm. enough like he's just very much so long seems like your friend right away and it reminds Mm. you of like truly one of the most impacting single film star wars performances ever by liam neeson and it it was such a a, because he was my favorite when i was a kid absolutely he was my favorite character in the phantom menace um he's a perfect jedi He's he's a, a a perfect character. I love that guy, um, and so it was really really sweet, really like really great for my childhood to see him again. Yeah, no, it was rewarding, and it was rewarding to be the kind of final scene, and also to get a Force ghost. I mean, geez, like, yeah, we had the Force ghosts in Rise of Skywalker, and they they kind of bugged me because I was annoyed that there was only two of them at the end. And then there was, I also didn't like long haired Luke. Um, But like, this is, this is, it wasn't quite as satisfying as Yoda in the last Jedi, but this was a pretty satisfying one. Yeah. And also best used very sparingly, the force ghosts. And that's what this was. Yeah, it was uh, in used in just its bite sized manner. Although I could go for a show that uses them, not sparingly at all. I could go for a show that as long it kind of has to be Qui Gon. Yeah. Um. But give me a show with a ton of Force Ghost Qui Gon and Obi Wan. I'm okay with that. Uh. One other 
translucent um, cameo in this episode. Ian McDermott is Palpatine on the hologram, mm. basically giving yes, the, giving point. the gears to Vader, and saying, "Look, you need to focus up, buddy. Like, is this going to be a problem going forward?" Basically, subtly saying, "Like, do I need to dispose of you, or are you going to be able to be my Swiss Army knife again?" Um, and that was pretty cool. Like, really, a, a a much more satisfying use of Palpatine than Rise of Skywalker, tenfold. Yeah, it was good. Oh. Yeah, uh, it was nice to see him being classic Palpatine. Um, like, is Obi-Wan going to get through to you, kind of? Like, do I need to be worried here? <laughs> uh, but it's good that he's like, oh, I can keep my dog in his place. There's no problems there. Uh, it was nice to see Vader in his, uh, like, obsidian chair. And, yeah. Like, in the ridiculous elements of uh, Fortress Vader. But, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was very cool. I would have been happy with a little bit more, maybe, but uh, Palpatine was one that they needed to use in a subtle manner. So it was it was very good and tasteful. Not a, like the makeup was a little off. Uh, it definitely looked um, could have been more. Like, uh, yeah, it almost looked like it was halfway between Return of the Jedi and Rise of Skywalker, and almost like they were trying to make him look like the weird monkey from. Original uh, Empire. The original Empire. Yeah. It was like it's like they included, and it was a bit of an odd one, but who cares? It was still very clearly Palpatine. Uh, nice to have Ian McDermott there. Uh, and actually, now that I was thinking about uh, talking, well, we were just talking about Force Ghosts and Anakin. Actually, a lot of Force Ghosts, Anakin, and the Ahsoka show could be awesome. Yeah, that's true. It would be really nice if they did that. I, I still don't really know what they're going to do with that show, but there's obviously a lot of opportunity. Yeah. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to uh, send up a little bit more because we didn't focus on it too much is the best part of the episode, which was the emotional climax of that duel as it's ending. Uh, mm. When Obi-Wan practically in tears and me certainly in tears says, mm. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Anakin, for all of it. And it really is yeah. a, a, a a brother line to that original I loved you line that you and I have have celebrated for so, so long. It's devastating. Uh, Vader says, uh, you didn't kill Anakin Skywalker. I did. And that's friggin' phenomenal. It's so good. And then mm. and then Obi-Wan says, then my friend truly is dead. And correct me, correct me if I'm wrong, but that mirrors what Luke says to him also. Yes, it's, uh, it's a, a, a perfect when my father's truly gone. Yeah. Or my father's truly dead. Uh, yeah, it is a, a nice mirror there. Uh, there's a bunch of the mirrors throughout this in, in the entire uh, fight and in, in, in everything. And whether it's um, Anakin doing his, um, have you come here to destroy me, Obi-Wan? Have you come here to kill me? You brought, yeah. no, you brought him here to kill me. Um, and uh, then you, then you will die. You will try. Um, oh yeah maybe that's on purpose probably is uh yeah and there's the like oh like there's like a dozen of them in this entire sequence and it is awesome because there are some of them are overt but some of them are really subtle and it's just them like them falling back into their old ways and like yes they're gonna say the same disses back to each other because they're just picking up where they left off well uh, yes but on that note a nitpick i have if Obi-Wan can't finish Anakin on Mustafar because he believes he's Anakin and that there is good in him and he can't he can't be the killer of his friend. Um 
Although he actually spends the next 10 years thinking that he was. Um, yeah. And he truly accepts that his friend is now dead and that in his place stands this being of evil, Darth Vader. And he does believe that that's what helps him to complete his closure and go on to be more at peace and commune with Qui-Gon and so on and so forth. How come he doesn't finish Vader? Because he has the opportunity and to not kill Vader at that point is a little galactically irresponsible. Galactically, extremely irresponsible. Uh, but I think the answer comes from chapter five. Uh, mercy doesn't defeat the enemy, Master. Uh, yes, it does. And how does Darth Vader eventually defeat it? And how does Obi-Wan choose to act with Darth Vader? Mercy. Uh, he leaves. He walks away. How does Luke defeat Darth Vader? He shows him mercy. Yep. Uh, throws down his lightsaber. Uh, I think that it's more about proving what a true Jedi does than it is about what the logical thing to do in that situation is. So I think this is Star Wars choosing, well, we have plot armor, that means he has to live, and we have a moral that we want to tell. And then it comes down to the moral versus the logic. Uh, and everything says is, uh, Luke specifically says that my father's truly gone, or mm -hmm. my father's truly dead. I can't remember which one it is. Uh, it might be, I think it is dead. Yeah, I think um, it's dead. Yeah, but... When he says that, he then still shows him mercy. And he shows him mercy also after Vader then says, um, then perhaps she will uh, about turning Leia. And he's like, so like Vader continues to taunt him and toy with him, but he's still in the end shows the mercy. And so I think that you, this is just another instance of Obi-Wan, they see Vader is dead in this point, but he still chooses mercy because that's what a Jedi should do. And even though... He should have killed him the first time as well. He also believes that he should have shown him mercy then as well, and that he shouldn't have brought him as close to death as he even did. And so yeah. I think it was, I think it was really good, and I, and I was okay with Obi Wan just walking away. My first initial gut reaction was, are they just going to have him walk away? But after sitting with it, I felt really good about um, him taking the the high the high road. Yeah, uh, that's a perfect answer. Way to go! All right. Tell me what's in the news. What's going on in Star Wars otherwise? Not really a whole lot. There's some stuff coming out about Andor, uh, just in terms of images and and whatnot. Uh, everybody's getting real hyped around that. Uh, it's supposed to be a very epic five-year story. Uh, season one is uh, one year, and then season two is like a four-year like bonanza or some kind. Okay. Uh, Genevieve O'Reilly is kind of being played up to be maybe like the main character next to Andor, which is really cool. Have Mon Mothma uh, be of, of a large focus. Um, there's not been a whole lot else. Uh, there's been some kind of conversation about Ahsoka, just that it won't, uh, Rebels won't be required viewing, uh, which is pretty obvious, but of course it'll add to it. Sure. Um, I think it's being billed as a limited series as well. Um, there's not been a, a, a ton in the Star Wars uh, news world lately. Taika Waititi's been talking uh, just about what his Star Wars project's going to be. Indeed, there sounds like he has no fucking clue or he's messing with us entirely and yeah. he's further down the line. He's a troll. He said think. this week that uh, I think Kathleen Kennedy or somebody could pull the plug on his movie at any time. Or maybe it was Ryan Johnson said that. Uh, did you hear what Taika said about uh, Natalie Portman? This was going around today. Yes, I did uh, ask. I don't know if this is true or or if he's just also joking about this. Could be. Um, 
about say, like in, in the negotiations for Thor uh, also offered like, you ever want to be in a star Wars movie? And uh, she was like, I was, I was in a few of those. And yeah. I was like, Oh, I forgot about that. Na- Natalie Portman. Yeah. So she's, she's uh, doing love and thunder. And I think they were just making conversation actually. She's like, what are you doing next? And he's like, Oh, I'm going to work on a star Wars movie. By the way, have you ever wanted to be in a star Wars movie? <laughs> and she's like, uh, yes, I have. <laughs> and I did three times. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty big role. It was. I'm disappointed that she wasn't around for Obi-Wan at all, period. I guess that means she's never going to be. Yeah, I say probably not, uh, unless they do a full Vader-focused show, in which then you really kind of have to at that mm-hmm. point. Uh, but other, like, it didn't It didn't feel like they were missing her at any specific points. They didn't use her name, which was a little bit weird. It wasn't about um, her at all, the story. No, and it didn't need to be. Nope. Um but with Leia being there, they made they brought her up uh, an appropriate amount, and I thought that that was good. Yep. Uh, and I did absolutely like you brought up before. I loved the the way that he talked about uh, her two parents and the way he described them. I thought that that was that was wonderful. Yeah, agreed. Anything else? Uh, no, nothing else really going on in in the news world. Um, and uh, I'm just finishing up the the book brotherhood i've got like uh i do the audiobooks i think i've got just one chapter left of that that's been that's been quite good it's been an enjoyable one and a nice companion to go along with this uh and there's uh shadow of the sith which just came out and that's a luke and lando book uh, that is kind of a a prequel to the sequels um and about what luke did uh, in their hunt for oshia bastoon and whatnot and so i'm really interesting interesting pairing of of heroes there in luke and lando because we actually don't see them interact that much there doesn't seem to be like an obvious partnership between the two of them until mid return of the jedi and so i would love to know a little bit more about how they get along yeah i mean like they're in on it on the plan in start of return of the jedi they're the ones who are ultimately aligning to, to rescue Han or at least one of the many plans. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think that it was, it was such a cool thread that they pulled out at the rise of Skywalker. And I was like, Oh, I want to hear more about that. That seems really interesting. Uh, and so this book should be a, a good one to read. And it's uh, it just came out I think, this last week. So. We haven't been doing podcasts consistently, so I don't have a comprehensive list of all the birthdays. Although I will say June 4th was the birthday of, is her name Vivian Lyra Blair? She turned yes. 10 years old, our new Princess Leia, uh, just at the start. So she's actually playing older than she was, which doesn't surprise wow. me because she feels younger than 10 through most of this. She talks like she's 12, but she looks like she's eight. And in fact, she was eight when she filmed the show. Yeah. Yeah. She would have had to have been eight. And that's that seems weird that they would have cast an eight-year-old. Unusual. She uh, just must have been that good. She's obviously very charismatic. But that's also awesome because that means that there is a legit five-year window to cast her and things probably now. Oh, at least. Yeah. So hopefully we'll see a little bit more from her because she's a, a really turned out to be a great addition to Star Wars. Mm. Uh, speaking of great additions to Star Wars, what you think about Obi-Wan Kenobi? Please let us know your thoughts by tweeting at Recorder66 or emailing Recorder66podcast at gmail.com. Uh, any plot holes you may have seen, any questions or curiosities or just things you found awesome. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, Also, if you could rate and review this podcast on whatever app you use, that would be a tremendous help. Or if you're joining us on YouTube, be sure to like and subscribe. And until we are together again, may the force be with you. 